by Leslie Gore, and we are very fortunate because this evening Leslie Gore is right here with us here at the Sheraton New York Hotel and Towers. And Leslie, i got to tell you, a couple weeks back, I uh, was at a benefit for the record producer Phil Ramon uh, at the Hotel Maclo, I believe. And, uh, much actually, to my he was being honored. It wasn't a I benefit I shouldn't say a benefit for him, He's actually. so rich he doesn't need a benefit. Really That's doesn't. true. Well, poor terminology on my part. It was He's actually a, a benefit for, for some eye care. Being for honored for, for his wonderful work in the industry over so many years. Wasn't it an incredible evening? All of his friends were there It was there absolutely performing. amazing. All of the big names in the record industry, and he's produced everyone. He and there, everyone. He's either produced them or recorded them. I mean, there's nobody he hasn't. And a wide range. Of, he's done Broadway uh, cast albums. He's done he's uh, also Simon and Garfunkel. He's done. He, he's the most wonderful human being you've ever met in your mm-hmm. life. Do, do you have? Did you meet him? I got a chance oh, to meet him there. But what I was really doll. impressed by was Leslie Gore singing "You Don't Own Me." I truly was because you have managed to take this song and update it and make it sound as fresh today as when it was recorded. Then, in fact, we were talking earlier. I think it even sounds better today, and the words are more relevant. And I was wondering, you're now playing at the Rainbow and Stars. Do you include that in the act? Oh, and absolutely. Well, do this how, song every night. How do you feel about that song now as opposed to when you first did it? Um, 
I loved that song when I first heard it, and mm -hmm. I found the piece of material myself. Um, there were two young guys from Philadelphia who wrote the song. I was working up at Grossinger's, hmm. which was a hotel in the Catskills at the time, and these two guys took me into a cabana behind the swimming pool and played me You Don't Own Me just on guitar. Hmm. I fell madly in love with, this, with the song, yeah. uh, brought them into New York on Monday morning to meet Quincy Jones, who, of course, was my producer at the time. He fell in love with the song, so we went in and recorded it. Um, it's still the strongest piece of material I have. Uh, I always close the show with it. I don't think I'll ever find a, a piece of material any stronger than that. You know, it seems strange that back then when, when minds were of a, a different set, I suppose, that a song could be written which would speak so well to problems that women are having today, and yet written by two guys, you say, as opposed to uh, I thought that was woman. rather interesting also, mm -hmm. although, you know, the first time I heard it, I didn't think of it as a woman's point of view. I really thought of it mm -hmm. as a person's point of view yeah. and I think perhaps in that maybe that's why it's grown because it's not really just limited to women anymore it's for men it's for it's for everyone I, I think can relate to this message now mm -hmm. I've got to say the the other thing besides the power of that song that impressed me seeing you the uh, the other night was how contemporary your act is how current it is and yet sometimes I think people get a, a, a name in their head and they go Leslie you're ah, we remember Leslie from way back when this is not Leslie from way back then why don't you tell us a little bit about the act that you've got at Rainbow and stars and what you're doing there. Well, we're really having a great time up there. I put together just four incredible musicians, Frank Owens, Benji King, two keyboard players, a drummer, Pete Abbott, and a bass player, David Santos. We have two background singers, Annie Sutton and Diane Wilson. Mm -hmm. So this has allowed me to really take the hits which are uh, one third of my show basically, but do them authentically, which was very, very important to me, mm -hmm. to be able to make them come alive in the same way as when you put that CD on, it should sound the same. Mm -hmm. And I, I really wanted to capture that sound as well as I, I've always loved jazz and some yeah. of the wonderful songs from the 40s and 50s. This gave me an opportunity to kind of mix and match some of those songs, mm -hmm. along with songs that I've written. Mm -hmm. How do you go about choosing what you're going to play? Do you sit in the room with your record player, CD player, and toss on a little of this and a little of that and figure out what's going to sound good? Well, things like I, I do a whole medley of maybe six or eight songs. It starts with uh, I've Got a Crush on You, goes into Wonderful, and goes through maybe a half a dozen mm -hmm. uh, Gershwin songs. That you do literally with a piano player in a room, and mm -hmm. uh, that was a, a medley that probably took us three or four days to put together. Mm -hmm. uh, Louis St. Louis did that arrangement for me. And um, what I do when I go into a place like Rainbow and Stars, I hire my musicians. And what I did this time was really interesting. I approached it as though I were going into a recording session mm -hmm. and just booked a lot of rehearsal hours and just played stuff until I was thrilled with it. When I was thrilled with it, I said, that's going in the act. And that's how I chose my material. Mm -hmm. How long a process is this? How long does it take you to put your act together? Well, I have been thinking about it for a very long time, and I've been kind of reevaluating the hits mm -hmm. over the last uh, six or seven months. It took me about three weeks of rehearsal and about three weeks of pre-production Mm -hmm. to get everything where it is today. Do you base a lot of it on the requests that you get? I'm sure people come up to you before and after the show, and what what, what are they asking for? What do they well, want to hear? Actually, what's kind of been fun now is I yeah. rehearsed a lot more than I need to do in an hour show there. So I have maybe 10 or 12 hits, so if someone screams out California Nights or yeah, Look of yeah. Love, I'm able to do those. Um, we've got 10 or 12 songs rehearsed, and I usually do about five or six of them in the show. So it gives me 
I'm not quite as locked to a format, which mm -hmm. is very nice for me. It's very freeing. And these musicians you have, they've got it all in their head. They can play oh, these songs. These <laughs> guys are unbelievable. Well, sometimes toward the end of the show, we'll go, let's not do that, let's do this, and they'll yeah. may scramble for music, but it only takes a second or two. <laughs> you know, before the show started, you were talking with our... Uh, uh, engineer here about the song California Nights and the fact that Marvin Hamlish had written it and right. you look at the people that you've been associated with in your career you can see how they were drawn to you because of your voice and you were drawn to them because of their talent uh, how, did you, how did you get a song by Marvin Hamlish all those years ago? You know that's a really interesting so uh, story um, I was working with Quincy and we mm -hmm. were producing records up at, at Mercury we had already had It's My Party it was a big hit and um, I met Marvin like at a club date at the Plaza Hotel, and he literally handed me Sunshine Lollipops and Rainbows. Yeah. Again, I took it to Quincy. We, we decided we loved the song, and I recorded it. Subsequent to that, uh, Marvin and I worked together. He um, helped me put several acts together later on down the line, mm -hmm. and he would send material over to me so that uh, he, he sent me California Nights a little bit later on. When I had finished working with Quincy, I was, I was working with Bob Crew, not exactly a no. bad producer either. <laughs> um, and uh, Marvin got us California Nights, and Bob produced it in 67, I think it was. Not bad at all. I remember seeing him playing the piano for Groucho Marx, of all people, at <laughs> Carnegie Hall years ago. We all tend to seem to... And he, I think he just got finished playing, or actually conducting for Streisand. Amazing. See, yes. there's a lot of jobs out there Absolutely. if you go look for See, if you look for work, it's there. <laughs> All right. We are here with Leslie Gore on 93 WPAT. We are going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to her a little more and perhaps talk to her about songwriting because she not only sings, she writes, which is not all that common these days. But first, uh, we're here at the Sheraton New York Hotel and Towers. And we are back here on 93 AM WPAT. My name is Larry Sutton. This is the Broadway Hour, and right here... Straight from her engagement at Rainbow and Stars is Leslie Gore. We are talking about Leslie Gore. We were talking about Leslie Gore, the singer. Now we're going to move into Leslie Gore, the songwriter, because she's got a number of very impressive credits there, too. And maybe we can get into I'm always curious about how people write songs. Do they sit in a room all by themselves and <laughs> ponder and ponder and ponder? Does it come to them in a flash? What do you do? Boy, it, it works both ways. You almost never know how a, a song is going to hit you, which is what is so exciting about a song. You literally start with a blank page. Now, I'm one of those writers. I like to write both lyrics mm -hmm. and I like to write music. So I can very often work with different people and uh, take on a different job. Usually before I can write a melody, I need a title. I need to know what we're talking about, and if I have a title, mm. then I know where it needs to be inserted within the structure of the song. So that usually sends me off on a tangent. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, then you can sit down at the piano and you usually come up with maybe four or eight chords, kind of a kernel of a melody, and you begin to develop that. And you that's, know, I've got uh, a friend, he's got a theory that Every great play and great movie tells the entire story in the title, such as The President's Plane is Missing. You want to go see it? You know what the story is. The President's Plane is Missing right there. I like that. You <laughs> well, know, maybe you could do a you little You know song. exactly what you're getting. I think that's important. Titles are very important. I've mm -hmm. always been uh, a, really a title nut, mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's very important how you title a song and what it's called and how it... Yeah. falls in your in your what about the subject matter you know one thing that I, I worry about when I listen to the radio these days when these kids today get on the radio when I was a kid it seemed like every song was about love basically boy meets girl boy loves girl boy loses girl whatever now it seems like just that very simple word is not heard in too many of the contemporary songs anymore love. yeah do you, is that one of your topics do you uh, ruminate over that it's an interesting uh I must say that I don't listen mm -hmm. to 
pop stations as much as I used to, mm -hmm. um, because I find that I, I gravitate to uh, other kinds of music if such I'm going such as jazz, mm -hmm. such as classical. Um, so I don't listen to as much contemporary music, although the people I like, I go out and I buy their CDs, John yeah. Cicada. Um, I tend to listen to, I guess, what are considered more the adult contemporaries mm -hmm. or alternative music. Um, there surely is a place for rap, and maybe I guess that's the music you're talking about. That Even that, yeah. It's, it's kind of angry, and maybe there is you know, not enough love out there for them to talk about, and mm -hmm. that's certainly, certainly something to be considered. Mm -hmm. Pop music is certainly, um, uh, it, um, it portrays the time, so if we're not talking about love, there's a reason for it. I think that's probably very true, very sad, but very true. Yeah. Uh, since this show is called the Broadway Hour, I always ask people oh. who are great composers and singers, uh, why they aren't on Broadway, what they think needs to be done with Broadway. Um, I know this is ponderous here, I'll give you a yeah. second to ponder over this <laughs> stuff, but it seems to me there's so many great contemporary performers who don't really take op the opportunity. We've got all these great old buildings, these great theaters. We were just saying earlier about the rainbow and stars where you're playing, how beautiful it is. We've got some beautiful old theaters. Have you ever thought about it? Has anyone well, approached you about it? I'll tell you frankly, mm -hmm. I, first off, I'm a uh, one of the reasons I live in New York is because theater and uh, is so important to me. Um, the show that I'm doing now at Rainbow and Stars, to be quite frank with you, I conceive it down the road as a one-woman show mm -hmm. that could easily be put into a small theater. Sure. And um, I would very much love to be able to do that. As you know, it's an expensive proposition. I have uh, many wonderful friends uh, in the business. My dearest friend, Marty Richards, is uh, one of the oh, great yeah, sure Broadway him, producers. Yeah. And I mean, this is a man who has had success. Mm -hmm. And um, I watch him with show after show, and boy, it's it's very tough. Sure. It's I always very ask tough. these guys, is there a formula? And they all say, you idiot. If there was a formula, we'd be out there doing it every day, exactly, wouldn't we? Exactly, exactly. No, it's just luck of the drawer and how good the show is and whether mm -hmm. people are going to come in. Because he had Will Rogers, he had Grand Hotel. But it's, it's, it's hard because it's so expensive to put mm -hmm. up a production. If we could figure out how to make it a little less expensive, yeah. I know I'd, I would grab a theater and try it for eight weeks. Well, what would you pay to see? What type of show would you want to go see? If you are Leslie Gore, producer, you get to bring in whoever you want. Do you want something light and fluffy? Do you want entertainment? Are you serious? I, I think it's important. I mean, entertainment for me is mm -hmm. both serious and light. Mm -hmm. I think to be a well-rounded entertainer, you have to discuss issues today as well as... Uh, the things, the, the classical values that we all know and love, and I mm -hmm. think you have to, you have to present yourself as honestly as possible. I mean, that's really the best that you can do, and that's about all a single human being can do. Mm -hmm. Just put yourself out there as honestly as possible, and uh, do the best darn show you can. I, the beauty of performers and actors on the Broadway stage is they put out. 250% every time yeah. they get up on the stage, whether they're being paid, whether it's for a benefit or mm -hmm. not, is a kind of a spirit in um, in the theater people that you don't find anywhere else. And it's a, it's, a gr it's a great thrill to be a part of uh, that kind of energy. Yeah. Except maybe perhaps at the uh, Rainbow and Stars where you are. Where I mean, that's well, a tough gig to be there every night. How's your voice holding it is. up? <laughs> Actually, it's, it's, it's holding up pretty well, uh -huh. I'm, I'm very happy to say. Um, I'm almost, uh, each night it gets a little bit stronger, so I know I'm having a really good time, and I'm, uh, it's also, we have the sound right, and yeah. that, that, that really helps. If you can control the sound and hear yourself, uh, then you don't have to really fight. Mm -hmm. You know, when I think of that place, I, I think of these old Fred Astaire movies, for example, and it seems to, to bring back the glamour of New York as seen by Hollywood. I know, but, but it's the true, thing right? with those Fred Astaire movies is yeah. they would come out, they'd do one number, right. they'd say, thank you very much, and they'd go back to the dressing room and have caviar and champagne. No I don't see that. I don't get that at all.
Well, maybe if you I do an hour and 15, I get 10 minutes off, and I'm back in those heels again. <laughs> maybe if you just explained it to the audience, we'd like to do it just like they do on the big screen, so right. well, I'll be back in an hour. That. Yeah, oh, they'll love that one number and out. Oh, sure. I see. What, do you, how do, what, what contemporary numbers are you singing? Do you choose from, who, who do you choose to sing uh, their songs? And I, I've really done a, a, a complete sweep uh, from 90s all the way back into yeah. 30s. Uh, some of the contemporary stuff, I'm doing a Steve Winwood song called Don't You Know What the Night Can do. Mm -hmm. I do an old Barry White song, which is uh, sort of contemporary. Now, now, you cannot get your voice as low as Barry White. Oh, that's don't be so sure. <laughs> that's don't physically be, impossible. St stand on my head, no problem. <laughs> uh, it's uh, never, never going to give you up. Uh -huh. um, I do a number of uh, my own tunes, and some of the Gershwin stuff. And mm -hmm. then, of course, I do, as you pointed out, some songs I've written. Yeah. Um, I wrote out here on my own with my brother Michael. Mm -hmm. And we're very blessed to have uh, Frank Owens at, at the keyboard. And Frank did the original piano track out here on my own when we ah. did the Fame album. So we get a great interpretation and of you that. You didn't have to teach him how to play it either. No, that, that <laughs> rehearsal went very quickly. Now, that was, of course, uh, your great work with your brother was for the movie Fame. That's right. And that was such a New York kind of movie, too. Definitely. I mean, it had, that's a little spirit. What else is out there in New York that might be worth a movie that you could write songs about? I'm trying to You think. know, that's, it, I mean, the, almost anything, yeah. uh, a drama class, a casting office, mm -hmm. uh, a publicity office, I mean, you could do almost anything and you could either put it in a television context yeah. in terms of a serial or you could do uh, a musical. Uh, there's a lot of ideas out there. Perhaps we could do the people walking down the street here on 7th Avenue. As I don't we see why not. <laughs> as we sit Here's here. a lovely looking woman right now. <laughs> we are broadcasting here from the Sheraton New York Hotel on Towers. We've got a lovely window looking out on 7th Avenue. We can see construction work. The we New York Apple Tour. The little yeah. tour bus going right by here. Hail that bus, okay. <laughs> and Leslie Gore is waving to the tourist even as we speak. <laughs> All right, I would like to remind everyone that Leslie is going to be in town for quite a while. Well, she lives here. She should be in town. But she's performing where you can actually go and see her as opposed to standing in front of her home exactly. and waiting for her to come out. Instead of coming to my living room. <laughs> At the Rainbow and Stars. She'll be there through July 16th, I believe is the date. Yes. It's in the phone book. You can look it up. We're not going to help you that much. You're smart enough to figure out how to find it out. But Rainbow and Stars, Leslie Gore through July 16th. She has been our guest here on the Broadway Hour. We are very happy that she came by. And thank you, Leslie Gore, for being Please here. Please come nice up and join you. us at Rainbow and Stars, we'll Larry. Thank you. It's a pleasure. We'll be right back. After a little applause for Leslie, who deserves a lot of applause. And coming up, we've got two of the stars of Passion. So hold on a second. They'll be right here as soon as uh, Leslie Gore gets up and leaves. And we clear some seats, and she'll be back. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you very much. We move from a Stucky's role to two of the stars of Passion. We have here with us Marin Maisie and Donna Murphy, and we are quite pleased that they will join us here in the Broadway Hour. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you know, the, oh, they're part us. of a, a Broadway love triangle, and I get to be the third part today. It's <laughs> <laughs> so exciting. We'll wait till my friends hear about this. We're going to roll that bit in. That's it. And we'll see where it goes. Hey. Oh, but the now, night is young. Oh, well, you know, that's true. Although we've got wide open windows here we're at the Sheraton. The hotel, we've I got mean, people you know. peeking in. I don't know if anything will really get on. But we're here to talk about, you've just recorded, actually probably recorded a while back, it's just coming out, the uh, sure, the yeah. cast recording album of, uh, of Passion, which is the big hit on Broadway, the Tony Award winning hit. Do you guys walk around and say stuff like that? We're in the Tony Award winning <laughs> <laughs> <And> No. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> See, they play it cool. They play it cool. This is what happens when you become a big Broadway star. People know you're in Tony Award winning hits, I suppose. In any event, we're here to talk about how they recorded that album. And maybe the two of you could tell me a little bit about singing and what's different about singing when you're recording and what's different about singing when you're on stage. And since we're going one, two, maybe Marin's here first. We'll hit her and then we'll hit up Donna. <laughs> I will say that Phil Ramone produced our album. Uh -huh. Phil Ramone is Ramone. everywhere. He is everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yes, he reads it. Yes, he does. What does he do when he's a producer? I think they just sit around and go, okay, you next. There's got to be more to it than that. No, right? I mean, they sit in that control room and listen yeah. to you and go, mm, mm hmm, or good, bad, or whatever. I mean, yeah. he, I think uh, it, it was interesting how, because I sat in there listening to other things being recorded, and the, the ear, I mean, everybody's ear and listening to and, and what, what, you know, what they would take as a good take and how they would say. I mean, I know I had, I had trouble because they recorded the last... My mm -hmm. the, the first thing on the album was recorded at about 12:15 at night, which is me, <laughs> myself, and Jerry Shea. Isn't and, your voice uh, dead by then? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. Oh, okay. But there was uh, just one little thing I couldn't. I was singing sharp, and I, mm -hmm. I it was just I was tired. It was uh, the end of a long day, sure. and um, we kept trying. We we kept getting. We finally got it. We finally did get it. But I was totally neurotic about it, and I kept saying to him, and and and. And Phil said, we got it. And so I really, I, there was something very calming about him. And, and I believed that he, he was telling me the truth. So I think, you know, he just so has the wisdom and, and uh, a lot of years of doing it. Well, that's uh, true. You know. Now, Donna, let me ask you, she was just telling me you record this at 12.15 at night. Is that, what's the theory behind that? Uh, is it it all in one well, day. the day started uh -huh. uh, about 11, yeah, I think. Yeah. My call, uh, my, my day was like a 12-hour, close to a 12-hour day. Mm -hmm. Um, but we're accustomed to performing at night, and yeah. actually, I mean, I, I remember thinking I'd rather be singing at mm -hmm. night than at 10 in the morning, yeah. because we were also coming off of an eight-show week. Mm -hmm. um, you're, it's a muscle that's accustomed to being, you used know, stretched and used mm -hmm. at a certain time, but we have matinee, so, I mean, we do have to warm it up during the day a couple mm -hmm. of times a week as I well. See. Now, on the album, do you have favorites? Of course, the songs you sing yourself, I'm sure, stand out. But is there a song? <laughs> not really. Not necessarily. <laughs> you like her? We she haven't likes heard yours. it yet. Oh, you no. haven't? No, we Don't haven't. Don't they give you a little sneak advance uh, copy of the tape or something? You know no? when we hear it? Yeah. When we're doing when we're radio doing shows. Radio. No that's the first thing. Yeah, we wow. Did. That's yeah. That's well, that we means heard we're going to have to play a song here so you can, <laughs> so you can hear <laughs> one of these things. Well, before we get to the song, though, let me ask you a little bit more about how you got involved in the cast. You know what I'm very curious about is the Steve even Sondheim cult that's out there. And I mean, it really is a cult. It, it's on everything from, if you subscribe to these computer bulletin boards, for example, they have a theater section. Mm -hmm. And in this theater section, you see people ask questions on various topics, and then they get to Sondheim or Passion, and it just goes off the wall. That's oh, all people really? want to talk about. I, wow. I'm just amazed by this. And they seem, and it's, it's questions unlike questions about other playwrights and about other musicals and all that. They just seem, it's like their life is devoted to Stephen Sondheim. Do you see these people hanging out at the theater? Do they scare you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I know that when we were in previews, mm -hmm. there were a lot of people who were very anxious to be there the amongst the first, you know, the first yeah. seeing Certainly. it and to see the evolution of the piece. And I remember there was a group from, I think there's a Sondheim Society yes, in mm -hmm. London in England that right. came over mm -hmm. very early in the preview process. And I, I've gotten some letters from people who 
identify themselves as Sondheim fans mm-hmm. and people who, you know, and Steve has written me and yeah. they, I guess as some kind of kind of qualifier, mm-hmm. you know, you can <laughs> trust me. In <laughs> yes, right. I'm I, not I, I really crazy. Over, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I work over at the Daily News and my other job and often I get letters about stories I, I write and you can tell by the handwriting when you open up the letter that, uh, oh, yeah. you get those it's letters? a little scary. <laughs> tell me about it, Marin, I'm not an you... obsessed fan. Yes, I yes. just <laughs> think that you're beautiful. <laughs> I don't get those. <laughs> oh, yes, you do. Come on, we know you get them. <laughs> and see, that's the problem. They, everyone, I'll tell you, you know, you have such a buildup, Donna, because everyone says, oh, Donna has to play the very unattractive woman in this show, and they make her up. And I'm telling you, even with all that makeup, you're not unattractive in that show. Yeah. And it's, well, I mean, the whole issue of, of the character's ugliness, people have yeah. chosen to focus on. Mm-hmm. And when I first heard about the project, I was told she was sick, she was yeah. unattractive. Uh, the word ugly was never used. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's impo- been a bit imposed yeah, upon. So um, it's something that people mm-hmm. tend to latch on to. Her behavior, you know, is difficult to handle, and that all—it's—it's it's what it adds up to. It's not about you know an isolated right. feature or a little word here, uh, a little yeah, word there. Putting something on. <laughs> that's my idea, but. I let me ask the two of you how, how you became involved in this uh, project. Uh, Marin, uh, did you seek them out? Did they seek you out? How did you find um, out about it? I had, uh, well, through my agent, but I mean, I had worked, I had worked for them before. Mm-hmm. I had done both, I've both, done both revivals of Merrily We Roll Along mm-hmm. outside of the city, uh, La Jolla and and Washington D.C. And I also did Into the Woods on Broadway, so um, they were familiar with my work. I and uh, they, both Don and I were involved with the workshop, which was last fall at Lincoln Center, and. Um, just so far, so good. So they said, we'll hire these girls. <laughs> Same for you, Donna? No, I had never uh-huh. worked with Steve or James. And mm-hmm. I was doing another uh, workshop up at Lincoln Center where the workshop of passion originated, a piece called Hello Again. And while I was doing that, I was asked to come in and audition mm-hmm. for the role of Fosca and oh, went right. on from there. Well, perhaps the two of you could help walk me into the uh, opening song here. We're going to play that. Since you haven't heard all these songs, we'll play a few here for you. Okay. You can hear them there today. And since I think Marin, it involves you a little more than Donna, perhaps uh, you can tell us about it's it. It sort of it opens the show with the uh, with two lovers, Cla- my character Clara and and Giorgio, uh, in bed, uh, having naked. just naked. naked <laughs> yes, having just uh, made love and mm-hmm. singing about how much they love each other and their their perfect kind of happiness together. Well, we're going to hear it right now then, the opening song from Passion. Happiness 
merely from a glance in the park. So much happiness, so much love. I thought I knew what love was. I wish we might have met so much sooner. I could have given you. I thought I knew what love was. I thought I knew how much I could feel. I didn't know what love was. But now I do. It's what I feel with you. The happiness I feel with you. So much happiness. You are so beautiful. Happening by chance in a park. Not by chance, by necessity. By the sadness that we saw in each no other. No one else has ever felt before. Just another love story. That's what they would claim. Another simple love story. Aren't all of them the same? No, but this is more. We feel more. This, this is, is so much more. Like every other love story. Some say happiness comes and goes. Then this happiness is a kind of happiness no one really knows. I thought I knew what love was. I thought it was no more than a name for yearning. I thought it was what kindness became. I'm learning. I thought where there was love, there was shame. That with you. But with you, there's just happiness and less happiness. What? I've been transferred to the 4th Brigade. Oh, Clara, please, don't look so sad. You're the one that makes me happy. God, you are so beautiful. I love to see you in the light. Clear and beautiful, memorize every inch, every part of you to take with me. Georgia. Your feet so soft as if they'd never touched the ground. I must go. Your skin so white, so pure, so delicate. Your smell so sweet, your breath so warm. I will summon you in my mind. I'm painting you indelibly on my mind. Let me go. We must fill every moment. All this happiness ended by a word in the dark. Oh, my love. Oh, my so darling. much happiness wasn't meant to last. I am here, I am with you, I am I yours. Never knew what your skin, your silken hair, your breasts, it. your lips. I, I want you every minute of my life. I don't know how to live when you're gone. I will always be here.
opening from Passion, and we have with us here on WPAT 93 the two great stars of Passion, Donna Murphy and Marin Mazzi. Maisie, Maisie, I keep mispronouncing her name, and she's going to belt me. The amazing Maisie. We've got, <laughs> and I'm going to correct what I told you. Not only do I screw up on names, I screw up on release dates of records because you have to wait until the middle of August to get that on Angel Records. But that means you can go stand outside there, wait by the record store a couple of weeks. It'll be out. You can be the first one on your block to have it. Uh, we are going to come back and talk once again with Marin Maisie. And notice how well I pronounced that. <laughs> and Donna Murphy, who has a very easy name to pronounce, I must say, right here on WPAT right after this. What does this hit record mean to you? Well, to us, it means it is Leslie Gore's party, and you're invited to hear Leslie at Rainbow and Stars atop Rockefeller Center. Don't tell me about towns like New York. No, but we will tell you what New York thinks about Leslie. Times critic Stephen Holden says, her early hits aside, she shows a more sophisticated side to her musical personality. You don't know. Maybe we don't own Leslie, but we're glad she's doing two shows nightly, Tuesday through Saturday. We all know it's Leslie Gore they're talking about when the critics say Gore is gold. Leslie brings you the sunshine and lollipops, and we provide the rainbow and stars. Come on up to Rainbow and Stars for Leslie Gore. Call 632-5000. That's 632-5000. What a party. The Look of Love, and we have here singing along with Leslie Gore on that tape, Donna Murphy and Marin Maisie, because they love those Leslie Gore songs too, <laughs> as we all do. But we're here to talk about passion. And you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about the fans that you get and some of those strange letters you get. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering, th do they still have stage door Johnnies? Are the guys that hang around outside there? And, 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 and how do you duck them? <laughs> That's what I want to know. They, there are people that are there are people that are out there. Yes, mm -hmm. they're devoted. Very devoted. I wouldn't call them, you know, like no one. There, uh, no, one, no one's been sending me flowers. Everyone said, "Oh, you're gonna get, you're gonna have so many men standing at the door mm -hmm. sending you flowers." Ha, ha guys, there's ha. your opening. Get some flowers. <laughs> hang around outside the Plymouth Theater. Not a one <laughs> has come a calling. Well, that's good to know. You're in trouble now, girl. <laughs> <laughs> See all these old myths that we expose. You know, you watch all these 1930s movies about, you know, I Broadway. Know. I, I watch them all too. Yeah, and that's what no. you figure. It's like, you know, these suave guys who just happen to be multi-millionaires. Are standing exactly. there with a bundle Where of roses, are those you know. Men? <laughs> well, maybe we can drum up a few here. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. You know, something else I was curious about in the show. Maybe Donnie could help me out with this. Uh, the, the number of costume changes, because I mean, you folks go back and forth from scene to scene to scene, and then many times it seems there are two scenes going on at once because the the, the staging is back and forth. Does that present a, a problem for you? Are you able to get all that There's done? There's some frantic changes, mm -hmm. um, and also because. For my character, often I, I need to come in in a particular emotional state. Mm -hmm. So I've got one person who's doing one thing, uh, dealing with part of the costume that's coming off, and another thing that's going on over my head, and a hair change that's happening. And uh, and meanwhile, I'm hyperventilating yeah. and working myself <laughs> up into a state of hysteria. And there's Greg Edelman, one of our fellow actors, refers to this one fast change as the emergency appendectomy. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the quick change room, actually. At that and I am over there. My hair is the guy the other night. Peppy said, what is that? I said, it's Donna. I'm preparing, damn it. <laughs> so she's just a little upset right now. But I, I actually, Marin is the queen of, of the changes. I have a lot of just I look, changes. I, I, I 
I have a lot of changes, yes. but they all look like the same dresses. Wow. Not really. I mean, they're just <laughs> subtle plain, variations simple, very on this dramatic woman. dresses. And right. you seem to have the, what's the word, the frou-frou the look? frou-frou, <laughs> yes. Clara loves the dressmaker very much. But yeah. now, would you actually wear clothes like that in real life in the 1990s? I know it's a period piece and it's set way back when, but do you think those clothes have outlived their usefulness as far as... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a little difficult to maneuver those dresses. Yeah, maybe It'd be a little hard to get in the subway and, uh, you know, jump into a taxi. Can't do it. <laughs> I just want to yes. say that, that my dresses are quite beautiful. They are. They are, no, they are beautiful. Jane, Jane Greenwood's no, work Jane Greenwood is exquisite. Is exquisite. And what she is is true to character. And yeah. What, you know, so yeah, that's it. Correct. I joked exactly about it, it. but... And we can never Sorry, joke on Broadway <laughs> because it is the most serious of all the professional this arts we know. But what you're saying is absolutely correct. They are perfect. They fit. I mean, they people are. rave about it when they come out. And they rave about the sets, too. The staging, phenomenal. You know what? I'll tell you another thing I like about it. And it is the fact that it's all in one. It's not all that long. There's no break. And I know this is probably saying that the American tension span, of which I represent, continues to shrink. <laughs> you know, we, but I think the timing of it is perfect. It's the perfect amount of time to sit in the theater very it's intellectual it's stimulating it's got all that going for it at once mm -hmm. and not once do you which i sometimes do look at your watch and go eh, how many more that's minutes right. on yeah, this thing yeah, yeah that's people, what's really I mean, great about it do you think, the feedback that do you think maybe that's too. something that all of broadway should kind of adapt i think it depends on the story yeah. this story is served well by there not being a release of mm -hmm. tension you know and yes. by people i think in the audience kind of mirroring what what giorgio goes through in his in this story of, of you know his experience with with Clara and then meeting Fosca, and that feeling of not being able to step away from it, and it's such a world that's so different from from today that mm -hmm. it, it's good to be able to I think just remain in that world and not have a break. Right. It really yes, so your attention pulled in by it. Yeah. Your attention is riveted on it, and you pay mm -hmm. attention to the storyline, and it, it really goes well. And that's not a plug. I just happen to see it and like it. What <laughs> can I say? In any event, our guests here today are Marin Maisie, whose name I've pronounced correctly three out of four times, yeah. and Donna <laughs> Murphy, and we are going to play one last song that we have, at least here, from the uh, recording of Passion, and perhaps uh, Donna could help us out with this because it's Fosca's uh, song. Yeah. Fosca convinces uh, yeah. her man to write a letter for her, and perhaps she can tell us what the song's all about. Uh, it's a moment that happens in a scene where Fosca asks, or actually a doctor for of Fosca's asks, Giorgio to come and visit her. She's quite ill, and uh, they believe close to death, and she has him come to her room, and it's like a fantasy fulfilled for her, not, not in a sexual way, mm -hmm. uh, just to have him there with her and to talk with him and um, have him close to her, and she asks him before he leaves if he would do her a favor and write a letter for her, and he assumes that it will be some correspondence, mm -hmm. and in fact, it's a letter that she dictates from him, but in her own mind. And that, and is, that is the song. Bosco's letter. Yeah. Well, we're going to close out this segment with that. I want to thank very much Marin Maisie, Donna Murphy, who mm -hmm. are the thank stars you. of Passion, which you can go and see right here on Broadway, even as we speak. If you want to hang around your record store until the middle of August, which you should do, you can buy the uh, cast recording on Angel Records, and right now we are going to listen to uh, Fosca's letter. And thank you both for being here. I really Thanks appreciate it. Nice meeting you. Fosca, it will be light soon. I should be going. Would you do me a great favor before you leave? Would you write a letter for me? Certainly. My dearest Fosca, please. My dearest Fosca. I wish I could fall.
forget you you race you from my mind but ever since I met you I find I cannot leave the thought of you behind that doesn't mean I love you that doesn't mean I love you I wish that I could love you. I know that I've upset you. I know I've been unkind. I wanted you to vanish from sight. But now I see you in a different light. And though I cannot love you, I wish that I could. Would love you for now I'm seeing love like none I've ever known. Our love as pure as breath, as permanent as death, implacable as stone. Our love at like a knife has cut into a life. I wanted left alone A love I may regret But one I can't forget I don't know how I let you So far inside my mind But there you and there you will stay how could I ever wish you And that was, of course, from the musical Passion, which is right here on Broadway at the Plymouth Theater. You can get that album in the middle of August if you're hanging out at your record store. It's on Angel Records. Donna Murphy, Marin Maisie were just here to talk about it. We were quite pleased because they were very good. And we shall be back here on the Broadway Hour. My name is Larry Sutton. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Coming up pretty soon, we're going to have a visit here from the Serious Fun Festival. Tracy Morris, Miguel Algarin are here to talk about poetry. Now, it's going to be great. You're going to love it because they are serious poets and they have serious fun. At least that's what they tell us. We'll talk to them in a few seconds here. But first, we've got our Broadway update, the news of what's going on on Broadway. And we can tell you that Ava Gardner is coming to Broadway. Well, so says producer David Brown, who plans to produce a one-woman show based on the life of the late movie star. Brown says he would like to cast Cher in the title role or maybe Faye Dunaway. 
Whether he gets them or not is another matter. The play, written by Edward Epstein, shows a fallen gardener reminiscing about the men in her life. It's set in Frank Sinatra's Waldorf Towers Suite. Now, Brown is also doing a little summer theater in Sag Harbor. He will produce Blue Light, the story of two Holocaust survivors for a limited run starting August 10th. The play will star Mercedes Rule and Diane Wiest. Now, Mayor Giuliani has declared Broadway one of the safest places in New York City. Police Commissioner William Bratton is adding extra police officers to the area to keep it that way. How come? Well, Giuliani says that Broadway is one of New York's biggest economic assets. He notes that ticket sales topped $356 million last season, a new record. The mayor says he hopes to improve the quality of life in the theater district and give the shows a publicity boost as well. To quote his honor, for me, that's easy. I enjoy the theater. He says his favorite show of the moment is Beauty and the Beast because his daughter, Caroline, has seen it twice. She sings all the songs and she wants to go back and see it again. Now, from the Where Were You When We Needed You department, the box office at Twilight Los Angeles 1992 did an extra $67,000 worth of business the week the producers announced the play would close. Uh, perhaps Broadway's theaters could take a hint from those electronic shops, put up their closing notices, leave them there for years on end, and get a lot of extra business. Now, a Broadway update source, straight from the chorus line, tells us that there were plans to move the flop musical, The Best Little Whorehouse Goes Public, to a Las Vegas casino. It would have been a natural. The beautiful showgirls, the beautiful costumes, no one paying close attention to the lousy script would have been perfect for Las Vegas. But the deal fell through when one of the show's top producers ordered that the sets be destroyed after uh, the run on Broadway. Now, Andrew Lloyd Webber's decision to close Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles is having big repercussions here on Broadway. Lloyd Webber will bring much of the California cast to New York. This means all those New York singers and dancers and actors and actresses who are counting on jobs this fall are not going to get them because the Californians are coming. Rough times, rough times. Meanwhile, the Sunset Boulevard set in Los Angeles at the Schubert Theater is being struck down. It's going to be sent to uh, Toronto. It takes them two months to do that, and that's where they're going to play next before coming here to New York City. And our Broadway update hero of the week is Jackie Green, a publicist for the downtown musical Stomp. If you've seen the show, you know the cast relies on trash can lids, old heating pipes, other bits of scrap metal to make their music. Well, they were scheduled to appear on the Regis and Kathy Lee show this week, bright and early in the morning. Only problem was someone stole their musical instruments. That made uh, Jackie run around town at 7.30 in the morning, knocking on hardware stores, getting old trash cans together. She did. She got them in time. They made their appearance, and everything was fine with the cast of Stomp there this week. Now we move on on the Broadway Hour to Trivia Time, and the winner of this week's contest will win two tickets to Our Town and a dinner for two at Streeter's right here at the Sheraton. Here's the question. Julie Andrews created the role of Liza Doolittle in the Broadway hit My Fair Lady, but she was replaced by Audrey Hepburn in the film version. Now the movie went on to win many of the major 1964 Academy Awards, except for Best Actress. That went to Julie Andrews. But for which film? All right, you got that? Oh, no, no guests are allowed to participate. We've got guests here. We've got poets who know these answers. But we're not going to let them tell you because this is our contest for our listeners here. So, although she can probably whisper it to me a little later on. <laughs> Well, if you want to take a shot at the free theater tickets and dinners, send your answer to the Broadway Hour. Last week's question was, the last, uh, the, <laughs> the last, excuse me, the late uh, Vincent Price enjoyed a brilliant stage career before going to Hollywood. 
named the record long-run Broadway hit, 1,295 performances in which he starred. All right, you guys know that? Nah, see, you don't know it all. <laughs> I didn't know either. Yeah, but however, David Garfield of the Bronx knew. The answer is a play called Angel Street. So congratulations, David. You win two tickets to Family Secrets and dinner for two at Bistro 790 right here at the Sheraton. And we've got one more commercial here, and then we're going to get to our poets, which is going to be the highlight of this hour, I can tell. The New York Times says Hysterical Blindness is a confessional gospel musical, a gallery of southern eccentrics. New York Newsday calls it irrepressible and says Leslie Jordan launches an all-out assault on our heartstrings. The Daily News howls it's beguiling and lovely. Dixie Drenched Dementia, those three Ds there again, Dixie Drenched Dementia, and Clive Barnes of the New York Post cheers, the audience laughed like hell. It's Leslie Jordan's Hysterical Blindness now playing downtown. For tickets, call the box office at 212-691-1555. That's 691-1555. And get a look at the South that's nuttier than a Stucky's Roll, which you would only know what a Stucky's Roll is if you come from the South, which I don't, so we're going to have to figure that one out. So that, uh, good question. What is that? Asking that very good question is Miguel Algarin. He is here with Tracy Morris. They are from the Serious Fun Festival. And next Saturday, because we're taping this a little early, so when we broadcast this, it'll be next Saturday at Alice Tully Hall. We will have poetry, but it's not that stiff stuff of like people lying back and you know getting these books out and putting on a beret, is it? Maybe Tracy, you could tell us a little bit about this. What what are we going to hear there at Ellis Tully Hall? Uh, 18, 17, 18 of the best poets in New York. Mm -hmm. But how do they do it? You know, I saw some clips of uh, a lot of the poets who were involved in this project when they were on MTV, for example. And this is lively stuff. I mean, this is you don't sit there and like ponder and think. I mean, they they really hit you over the head with a lot of this, huh? Well, you, you ponder and think when you're writing it. Yeah, oh, yes, <laughs> And yes. then it's supposed to sit with you, but it, it does have immediate and long-term impact. Mm -hmm. What are your topics? What, what motivates you to write poetry? Uh, love, lust, power, and Excellent. politics. Uh -huh. That's the whole world. That's all <laughs> well, of New yeah, York. Yeah, <laughs> Narrow it down to a few things. But love can be a many splintered thing, so mm -hmm. it would be a lot of manifestations of love. Uh-huh. Now, Miguel, do <laughs> you uh, write on the same topics, or are you... Uh, I write a lot about this. I write a lot, a lot about this city. Uh huh. Now here I am on Broadway, Fifty-second yes. Street. I mean, this is home. Um, I was telling a Grant who mm -hmm. came up to the show with me that um, the, th the theme of serious fun, you know, it's yeah. like you bring downtown, uptown, you mainstream it. Correct. And of course, the irony is that we've been doing that for decades. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like oh, the moment he said that, I sat back and I said, uh, "Bring downtown, uptown." I mean, Short Eyes was Miguel Figueroa. Sure. Short Eyes mm -hmm. was in, at the Beaumont in '74, right there, sitting pretty, right there across the across the hall from the Alice Tully Hall. Mm -hmm. you know? So, I my my the, the New Yorican themes are. Are, I think have a lot to do with people who are in New York. Yeah. The quality of life in this city, you know. Just the fact that I can come to the show and Leslie Gore, I've sweated <laughs> on that woman's song. <laughs> you know, I mean, know. I've, I've, I've had to take my shirt off in midwinter to that right off. Now, now does Leslie inspire you to poetry, I tell you? Could you write a poem of about course, Leslie Gore? Sure. Of course. You, and you not only can write a poem about Leslie Gore, but yeah. music yes. can move your language. Mm -hmm. You know. Oh, that's true. Now, Tracy. 
when do you write? I'm always curious about that. I mean, I have a job where I work at the Daily News at the newspaper, and we have to write on demand. It's like the story's in, you better get it in a half hour, do it now. But do poets have a little more leeway? They have a little latitude there? Sometimes we delude ourselves <laughs> to think that we do, but usually you have to uh, act when the inspiration hits you and then mm -hmm. work on that. That's when the technique comes in to mm -hmm. refine what you feel into something that can actually communicate to other people. Do you have a particular time of day when inspiration hits you? Is it easier to write late in the night or early in the morning? or? No, mm -hmm. no. My muse is uh, <laughs> a <laughs> night owl and a morning person. How about you, Miguel? That's like the question you asked uh, the women from mm -hmm. Passion. I mean, a poet is like a singer yeah. and, uh, or like a dancer. You know, you, 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 you heat up your muscles, your mind, your body. Your mm -hmm. mind is active in a special way. It makes complete sense to go and tape a show, a show at midnight after you've done the show and your voice is rich and warm, mm -hmm. you see? Now, give it overnight. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so I, I think that a lot of this idea that poets have a romantic hour late at night has to do with you having had a full day, mm -hmm. you know, more than anything. I write in the morning when I'm fresh. All right, we are going to find out. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, hopefully, if you will allow us, we'll persuade you, Tracy Morris and Miguel Algarin, perhaps to read uh, one of your works uh, and so that people can get an idea of what they're going to see at the Serious Fun Festival at Alice Tully Hall next Saturday evening. But first, let's take a break, and we'll come back to Tracy and Miguel, okay? And we are back here on the Broadway Hour, 93 AM, WPAT, here at the New York Sheraton Hotel and Towers. We have with us two of the poets from the Serious Fun Festival, and they have honored us and said that each of them would uh, give us just a small sampling of their works. And perhaps who would like to go for it? Maybe we can get Miguel. He's got his book right here, and I can see uh, Tracy. Uh, well Miguel Algorin, what's this? Well, this is for Leslie Gore. Okay. And you asked her, how does good. she write a song? Yeah. How does a poet write a song? Now, I can't sing like Leslie Gore, so you have to understand <laughs> this, but this is, um, I mean, I love New York, and no one really appreciates Dante Park. You know where it is? Yeah, I bet. sure, yeah. You know I've it? I've been around all around town. You're uptown. But Dante yes. Park is right across the New York State Theater, mm -hmm. you know, and that's where I sit to wait for the ballet. So this is a poem okay. to Dante Park. Good. Beautiful, clear July light, late afternoon clarity, waiting for Cinderella and Marie Laveau, sitting in the center of the biggest neon layout the world has ever seen. July light in Manhattan, July light at the New York Sheraton. A cool afternoon breeze brings space to all as people smile, strolling in and out of pools of light. July light in Manhattan, July heat self-tempered, July, July, ooh boogie, 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 ooh boogie, 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 till you can't boogie no more. Number one hit of the day. This day, this clear and balanced day, this day, this clear and balanced, balanced moment, sitting at Dante's feet, feeling my way out of purgatory, approaching terrestrial paradise, this mellowing, yellowing light, this ooh boogie, 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 ooh-wee, boogie, 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 till you can't boogie no more. <laughs> <laughs> 
and you can sing. I'm going to get Leslie Gore to sing with you. That was phenomenal. I mean, you, know, you had her on the show. I had to do that. <laughs> Thank you. That was Miguel Algarin. And again, he'll be at the Serious Fun Festival. All right, Tracy Morris, are we putting you on the spot? Can you do one for us? Okay. Oh, thanks. Uh, I'm from Brooklyn. Oh, so then you can do anything you're from Brooklyn. This is a Brooklyn poem. <laughs> okay. It's called Project Princess. Teeny feet rock layer double socks, pop inside piping of many colored loose lace ups. Racing toe keeps up with fancy free gear, slick slide and just press recently weaved hair. Jeans oversized, belie her hips, her back, her thighs that have made guys side for millennia, topped by an attractive jacket. Her suit's not for flacking flunkies, junkies, or punk homies on the stroll. Her hands the mobile thrones of today's urban goddess. Clinking rings link up dragon fingers with no need to be modest. One or two gap teeth are cool and sport gold initials. Doubt you get to her name, just check from the side and please chill. Multidimensional shrimp earrings frame her cinnamon face. Crimson with a compliment. If a comment hits the right place, don't step to the plate with your date lines from 88. Spare your simple, fragile feelings with the same sense that you came. Call a woman variation, you rework the French twist with crinkle cut platinum frosted bangs from a spray can's miss. Never did she insist, no, you can't touch this. And if miffed, be that fist off was who must persist. She's the one, give her some under fire, smoking gun of which raps are spun. Song is sung, the bells are rung, rock jerks are clock, pistols cocked. I want to advance this block, well stacked. She's jock, it's all about you, it's all about you, girl. It's all about you and living in your world. Cha chee pa dee da dee dee. You better work it, don't you dare stop, G. Teeny feet rock, lay your double socks. The Project Princess kicks it with some hip hop. That was something. Thank you. That was great. I'll tell you, the, the rhythm that is in these words, uh, you don't need music. You hear the music in your head. That was Tracy Morris right there from Brooklyn, as she informed us. I'd like to thank all of our guests here on the Broadway Hour uh, you, that you've been listening to here on WPAT 93. Uh, thanks to our guests Leslie Gore, Marin Maisie, and Donna Murphy of Passion, Tracy Morris, and Miguel Algarin of the Serious Fun Festival. I'd like to thank our sponsors, the New York uh, Hotel, the Sheraton New York Hotel and Towers, and 777 Food and 777 Film. Thanks to our executive producer, Kate McGrath, our engineer, Chris Breitfeldt, and all the technicians at Projection Video and Audio. Join us next week when our guest will include Adrian Zmed of, of Blood Brothers. Tough to say there's Zmed of Blood Brothers. And live entertainment by the Honky Tonk Highway. This is Larry Sutton, your host for the Broadway Hour. Catch you next week. <laughs>